listening to the Grocery Girls podcast. The Grocery Girls is a non-profit organisation focused on inspiring and empowering women in the grocery industry. We want to help women realise their full potential, channeling their talent and ambition to seize the opportunities they deserve and carve out a career that works for them. I'm Molly Hodge and I'll be your podcast host. Every episode, I'll be interviewing someone working in the grocery industry, from intern to CEO, retailer to supplier. I'll be asking them to share their career journey, the highs, the lows, the lessons learned, and their hopes for the future. I'm Jo Whitfield, the founder of Grocery Girls and also CEO of Co-op Food. I'm the first female CEO of a major grocery retailer, but it's absolutely my mission to ensure that there's many more of us coming through in the years to come. There are so many amazing, talented and driven women in our industry and we want to bring you all together to share experiences and to ensure that every one of us reaches our goals. Hi everyone and welcome to our brand new series of the Grocery Girls podcast. If you're a new listener, hi, welcome and thank you for joining us. If you're a regular listener, you'll probably be thinking things sound a little bit different around here. So I'm Molly and I've recently taken over from Hester as the communications partner for Grocery Girls, which also means I'm the new host of the Grocery Girls podcast. Don't worry, it's not the last you've heard of Hester. She's sticking around for the next couple of episodes before she officially hands over the reins to myself. So this series, it's all about doing things differently. We're focusing on people who've made different choices and follow paths less trodden through their careers. So to kick things off, this week, Hester is interviewing the fantastic Sam Akinluyi. I think it's safe to say Sam knows his way around the FMCG sector, having previously worked for Nestle and Mars. And as of last month, he became the UK and Ireland Managing Director at Innocent Drinks. However, what sets Sam apart is all the work he's done as the co-founder at Salt, a non-profit which works within retail to increase talent from different backgrounds and underrepresented communities. So, without further ado, let's hand over to Hester and Sam. Hello Sam, happy Tuesday. Hi Hester, happy Tuesday. Nice to be with you. I'm quite I'm looking forward to this. Good, good, good. Nice to see you over Zoom. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, thank you. Um, obviously, I'm always in this room, always looking at the screen. Um, and it's actually quite nice because you've just given me an interesting setup. So I've got my screen, I've got something on record. And yeah, I was going to just say my kids are just coming back from school. So there might be a bit of noise downstairs. Um, so ignore, ignore any background. But yeah, other than that, really, really good, really busy, really... Um, excited anxious all at the same time about what's to come like in a in a good way um so so yeah oh great fab to hear so um i'm sure our listeners are very very intrigued um after that opening so for their benefit i'm not gonna not gonna say anything can you please tell us your full name who you are what you do that would be great great so my full name um i've actually got six or seven middle names so i'll just give you my shortened full name no give us the full name <laughs> no no i i actually can't remember all of them that's the scary thing um but samuel oluwak belumi akinliyi 
So um, Sam, for short, to, to a lot of people's reliefs. But yeah, Samuel Oluwag Bellamy is my full name. Um, I run, uh, I guess, an organisation or group. I'm not really sure what to call it, but we're called SALT. Um, and we are focused on really helping people and, and making things possible for people. And I'm sure we'll go, we'll go into that in a bit more detail as we have a conversation. Um, but my background's in consumer goods. I kind of grew up in consumer goods from leaving university, well, before university, um, to leaving university. And, and, and up until about three years ago, I was in, I'd say, corporate consumer goods of the FMCG industry. Ah, uh, that industry we know well. Okay, amazing. Well, thanks for introducing yourself. And... Um, so we were chatting a little bit um, before and you gave me a bit of your background, which I didn't know before because we have spoken a fair few times uh, prior to this interview. But um, normally I'd ask our interviewees kind of to tell us about their career today and how they kind of um, got to where they are right now. But I think um, in your case, part of your career journey and I guess how you got to where you are now probably starts further back um so I don't know whether you can tell us like a little bit about what what you were just saying to me about kind of um where you come from really yeah no and, and it's good and I've only I never used to tell that story because we often you know we, we have like the shiny one don't we where we talk about our career history and we always talk I always talk about that as the shiny introduction which I've always done but until quite recently um, but going a bit further back, I was born in Nigeria. I didn't have an accent like this. Um, I, I was born in Nigeria in a place called uh, Ilesha, and we lived in a place called Ile Ife. Um, up, up until I was six, we were in Nigeria, and we, and we moved to the UK. Both my parents were, were scientists, essentially, and they moved to, we moved to Brighton. They worked at Sussex University. Um, and my dad was doing some work with a World Health Organization and waiting for a grant to come in. So we actually moved, you know, with literally two or three suitcases in 1989 with my two younger brothers. And we were in Brighton and for a couple of, or two or three years as we settled. So took took me, took us a while to kind of settle, not in a bad way, but, you know, with, with schools and, you know, placements and moving around and a bit of uncertainty I went to, I think, five primary schools, so I moved around a lot. I, I kind of really appreciate change. Um, but I also appreciate, like, having to really connect with people and being able to, you know, <laughs> try to fit in. Um, so I had, a, obviously, as a, as a six-year-old, you know, I had a strong Nigerian accent and I was known for as Belumi until I was six. But I remember in the playground, as soon as I used my first name or the name that I was always known as until that point, and you know the kids kind of laughed and couldn't really understand. Um, I think that was my journey to start to you know look to be accepted and and fit in. So I was known as Sam. From that point on, that was the decision. I went home, known as Sam, um, lived in Brighton for a bit, and my mum became a teacher, and my dad became a sort of a, a university lecturer. Um, in in sort of southeast London, Kent. So we moved there, um, and that's where I kind of grew up and spent most of my life. Um, yeah, went to went to the local comprehensive school, which is kind of closed down and reopened again. It was interesting. It was great. Um, and at sixth form, when a lot of my friends left 
before sixth form um they did you know didn't really pursue further education but from a nigerian background i am with a nigerian background that's not an option um even though i wasn't particularly academic i worked hard and i ended up getting to the grammar school up the road so i my both my brothers were there already um and i joined them um for a couple of years did my levels um before going to uni so that's kind of it's the, loads of experience in it's just kind of in between but there's kind of this theme about moving around a lot fitting in i think as a family one of the big objection objectives was to fit in to to acclimatize to a new culture just to to kind of look forward and and you know and my parents who did an amazing job of you know, taking a risk coming to this country raising three kids um yeah we kind of that's that's something that's always been a theme through certainly my life um it's fitting in um and i don't think that's always great which i know we'll probably come on to talk about but i went to uni i studied banking at loughborough uh, mainly because I, I think i got a sort of b at maths gcse and i thought i wanted to prove myself that i could you know i wasn't you know i wanted to do better and you know i've got a few b's and, and things like that but went to uni um, studied banking finance and management but it was an industrial placement course so you had to do a year in industry and the first job that came up was at nestle and i was like well I thought I was going to go into banking, but I knew the Nestle building because I grew up very close to Croydon. And if anyone lives or knows about Nestle or Croydon, it was just this big beacon, this big sort of 23, I think it's, yeah, 23 floor place in Croydon. Does it just smell of chocolate? It, it well, it didn't because that was in York. So the, the fact, the, um, the chocolate factories were in York. I can see you raising your hand, the north, the northern, northern connection. I grew up just outside York and my memories as a child of, so there's the Nestle factory and then there's also the, um, like round trees. So is it round trees? I think there's Terry's as well there. I can't remember fully, but I just remember there are a few areas of York that you just walk down the road and it just smells of chocolate. It's amazing. Yeah. I've been up, been up there a few times, smells chocolate. You smell the polo mints as well sometimes. And, um, but yeah, so, and, and that's how I ended up in the industry. There was never, there was never a plan to, but it was the first job that came up and it made sense for me to basically live at home. My my youngest, my younger brother was going to university. So if I could live at home and save up the little amount we got paid at that time for a year in industries, I could sort of have some spending money for my final year. And it just made a lot of things quite e like easier. So that's how I ended up in the industry. But it was, yeah, it wasn't on purpose. And I don't think it ever really is with consumer goods a lot of us you know find ourselves here it's never part i don't know how many people really plan to be in the industry um but once we're in you think actually this is it's a good place to be yeah yeah cool and we'll come on to it later but that's something that you're looking to change as well isn't it absolutely and then so you, you finish your degree and then what did you go back to nestle were you kind of offered a role or yeah i did i did so i um so my 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 first job um at nestle was i was a customer service executive um on sainsbury's so i used to do all the order fulfillment and things like that but but working with kind of the account managers i was working in supply chain and i did my second half of my year in industry working in supply chain you know understanding that but i was just interacting with salespeople all the time i was playing rugby quite seriously at the time as well and and i was i was just getting to know people and i realized that sales was quite a good place for me i i like pe i love people i like making connections with people so just before i left i walked up to the sales director vince robinson hopefully he'll remember 
a few of us and I said like, I, can, I want a job at the end of it so I got an in, I was interviewed um by a couple of people and you know it's always great to f it would be always great to feel like you've got a job you know when you go back for your final year you know the uncertainty that I know a lot of people are going through right now but yeah I interviewed and I um yeah I went in as a as a direct entry so there was no grad scheme at the time and I was just a direct entry um I was became a national account executive so doing the administration for a one of the sales team and an account manager so I came back in directly into here moved back home and yeah just kind of worked my way I guess not what my way up um through the sales function um within Nestle cool cool and so how long how long are you in at Nestle for I was at Nestle altogether for like seven or eight years, including the year in industry. And I, um, yeah, I met my wife there, um, who, who, who still works at Nestle. And, um, and yes, yeah, so I was there. So I, 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 I did the account, sort of the account exec role, the junior roles. And now I, saw, I got given my first accounts to look after. And there was a really clear route through. It was really prescribed. Not that that was a bad thing at, at that time. So, you know, jump from account to account, then moved into a, a a more strategic role, like looking after brands commercially, um and and yeah so and I ended up kind of looking after or, or sort of overseeing uh sort of Nes the Nescafe part of of the business from a from a strategic sales perspective, you know towards the end, um so that's what I did then and then I um I don't I got to an age Hester where I don't know it was like I felt like I could almost maybe it was, there was an arrogance and there was a naivety which is I could do anything I want to go and really try and make a change I didn't feel like I was doing that as much as I I, I could do I loved the guys in Nestle it's where I grew up I'm still close to a lot of them but but yeah I, I wanted to go to somewhere where I can make a difference um and and I actually went to a company called General Mills which who are you've got amazing brands but they were just a lot smaller at the time and I just wanted that change so I, I went there and I ended up looking after three of their brands commercially. Um, one called Betty Crocker, cake mixes. Um, one called Just Roll, which is like pastry and stuff like that. I can see you nodding. Which I love the fact, so all Just Roll, is this right? You might, you might not know, I'm not sure how far, how, how, how many years we're going back, but um, all Just Roll now is totally vegan. Is it? Uh, you see, I... That doesn't that we did talk about vegan at the time, but this was a little while ago. So, I mean, I'm going back to three, eight, maybe nine years ago, um, and I don't know. The trend wasn't as as strong as it was right now, so I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, and I also looked after Hagen does as well, so it's a real mix. So, so, so looked after those. So setting the targets, writing the commercial strategy, those things, um, and I just wanted to get out of FMCG after that, and I I wanted to change. Um, even though my we my wife was pregnant with our first child, um, Ruby, we I was working with startups, so I got this real interest in 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 working with people who were creating things, and um, there was a, a two of my brother's friends, Cambridge grads, really bright guys, had come up with this amazing technology, and I'd been kind of helping them, advising on the side, and I just thought actually let me just join them, so I joined them, and my in my naivety I was like right it's fine I'll get paid with him I'll get paid in a few months in fact I might get paid straight away so it's not a problem and you know I've got a kid on the way but it's all going to be fine and and yeah that is quite a naive perspective when you work for a startup it turns out 
So um, a few months came and went. I was working in Old Street, thinking I was quite hip and cool. Um, meeting some very like interesting people, like technology. I even went out to um, Silicon Valley just to sell the technology and, and, and try and get people interested. But you know, my, as my wife got more and more pregnant, you realise that we have to you know, make some other decisions. And I actually applied, started applying to go back to what I knew, which is FMCG. And I applied to Mars, thinking, I don't really want to go and work for Mars because I know the chocolate category from afar. I know how tough it is, how competitive it is. But also, is there any growth there? Um, But I interviewed anyway for what was called the commercial strategy controller job. Um, um, Actually, it was commercial strategy director job. And and I got the role, um, which was great. Um, And... However, uh, someone who's a really good friend of mine, a lady called Anna Johnson, who um, she's fantastic. She does a lot of work on the female career um, and she's based now in New Zealand. She was coming back from maternity and they actually gave her that role and asked if I was still interested in joining. And with a very pregnant wife, um, I was like, yep, I'll still take the role. Um, So I I started and when my my oldest daughter was two weeks old, so it cut it quite fine. Um, but I had five great years, at, over five years at Mars. So ended up taking the, the commercial strategy director role. And then I became the grocery sales director in the UK. So all our major multiple customers and online came under my re- my, my department, my team's remit. Um, so that's kind of the, yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of gone over quite, quite a lot. Um, sort of summarised 15, 16 years. But yeah, so that was where I kind of got to in my corporate career. Yeah. Yeah. So that, no, that's really interesting stuff and it's great context. And I think if I frame it in the context of this series, which is all about doing it differently, um, I guess, I guess up till this point, um, it seems like, well, certainly, um, up until you left General Mills, it seems like it was quite a smooth journey. Right. And then there was a decision to go and do something um, slightly different and something more in line with your passions at that point. Um, but then there was a decision to go back in for kind of safety security. Um, and I think I think it sounds like I mean, if you were to if you were to categorize or if you were to talk about kind of what what your strengths were during that during that time and up to that point, what do you think you'd say? They were. I mean, I mean, you talk about um, kind of the fitting in and being able to get on with people and connecting. Would you say that that was kind of um, one of the biggest one of the biggest focuses? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's something that I've realised um, now that you know, I think I, I that there was a point where I was really focused on just being the best at everything. I was. Quite, I'm, I'm a naturally fairly competitive um if people who know me um in in certainly in certain environments and i wasn't necessarily thinking about what my strengths were like my focus was always what do i need to be successful or to get that role or to to you know to be ahead of my peer group my peer set so what my strengths were was not something i really considered seriously until I probably got that grocery sales director job or just before that which just feels crazy um so my 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 strengths and my appreciation of yeah this is what who I am you know it's not just what I do but this is the kind of person I am I never 
sought to really make that a hallmark of anything I did. You know, I just wanted to, you know, you want to succeed, you want to get promoted, you, um, and you look at the people more senior than you making the decisions. And, and I know how, you know, those decisions are made on progression. And I was thinking, right, I've got to tick some boxes. <laughs> so who cares about what's, what I'm all about? Is Am I ticking those boxes? And I put all my emphasis on that and I, you realize that I've always I realize I've probably always done that which is you know how do people um how do people see success how do people define me and define whether I'm good or not and then how can I deliver against that how do I make sure that I'm ticking boxes for them um which is um something I'm now really obsessed about unwinding and challenging um, with people I, I, I work with. I think it's tough, isn't it? It's, I guess it's one of the blessings, but also the curses of being um, an intuitive communicator and an intuitive connector with other people, um, that that it can be very easy to look around and understand what uh, people want from you or how to get on with other people and how to, you know, how to make those connections. But actually it can be at the same time really hard to notice where you put yourself in there and, and yeah I don't know and this is not about me I I always end up talking a bit about myself whenever I interview anyone anyway but but it's something that I am um, it's something that I do as well I'm you know I'm, I'm good at building relationships and I'm because my background is communications and I have done a lot of interviewing in the past I I'm you know I'm quite good at understanding how to get great responses and great stories out of people um and how to communicate with people in order to find things that are interesting but then I often I often think I compromise actually being myself or thinking about what I want in a situation does that make sense it does and there is a balance but you know if I if I'm spending all my time trying to be someone else or be accepted by someone or do something in the way that you know, my boss does, does it, do something in the way my boss does it. It's exhausting. It's not rewarding. I'm I'm trying to be something or someone then I'm not. And while, you know, security is important and, and, and yeah, getting paid is important. I, I was realized that life's too short to try and be other things, things that you're not. And what, what I was finding in certain environments that we were just trying to get people to fit into what I needed them to be or we needed them to be to assimilate and not try to understand their difference and what they could bring. Um, it's a two-way street. I, I, I think you need to, I really believe in encouraging people to bring a bit more of themselves, but I think organisations have to be open to that. You know, people need to say, when I look at someone, you know, I don't want to think, how do I mould them? to be just like me I want to think how do I get the most out of them how do they get the most out of themselves because that's I just think that's a much more engaging environment that's how I would want to be led but it's also very different to what so many of us have been used to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that you you hear about kind of more and more at the moment and I know I mean I hear about it more and more at the moment because of um, conversations that I have with you and your um, business partner Gareth um, so tell me I guess 
we've been we've been talking around the subject and I guess leading up to what what we could frame as a moment so when you were at Mars when when you were at that point when you got kind of that that senior role what happened then yeah so I, I got the senior role um you know, the couple of senior roles and and there was something in me that just felt that I can't keep doing this. You know, I'm I'm turning into, you know, it's not that it was unsustainable. I could have carried on and, you know, life would be great, certainly more predictable than it is right now, um, more stable. But I just felt that I needed to, I needed to be more of myself. And, and, that's not to say that anybody working at Mars or any other big corporate are not doing that. It was just for me personally. Um, so I was in um, Mars merged with Wrigley and I, I was involved at a senior level um, with, with the team in terms of how we shaped that. And there came a point where we had to say, OK, what role do we want in the new organisation? And I was like, I don't think I could write something down. I, and I really respected my boss um, and I couldn't say to him, I want this role when I knew I didn't. And I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just really felt that, um, that that was the time to take a leap. And all I could think I was going to do is just find pe people and things I really believe in and just help them succeed. And I wanted to give myself to that. Um, and I was told by someone who I'm very close to, he, he sort of triggered this a couple of years before, um, and who he lives a, a much l less comfortable life than me, let's say that. And he just said, Sam, you, you've got time. You can take risks and you can go back. But, you know, you've got to you've got you've got to you've got to take some risks. Um, and my wife is very understanding. And I told her what I was going to do. My parents, as I've told you, they took some massive risks. Um, so they've always been supportive of that. So I said to my boss, yeah, I'm sorry, but I can't fill this in. And I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do exactly, but this is not. I, I just don't think I could do this. And I and. Yeah, it was a surprise, maybe. To, it was a surprise to a lot of people at Mars. And I remember after doing it, I was like, I've just jumped off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> I just jumped. Um, but, you know, they were fantastic. Um, I think they understood. And I joke with, with my boss at the time, and because we're from sort of different cultures, he's like, what are you doing? It's crazy. Like, it's quite crazy to do it. Um, but it needed to be done. So I, I left. I left in... Um, so what you were 2021 so I left three years just over three years ago um, and I just said right okay let me just find people to help I'm going to just find people to help and um, a few people knew I was leaving and they said Sam can you help me with this and help me with that so I had quite a soft landing um, and and yeah I, I just started meeting people and saying look I don't want any money I just want to know if I can be myself and help you and you know I don't want to don't, I don't want any exchange. I don't want any financial exchange. I just want to give myself and see how I can help you know, at, without being in some kind of contract or constraint. And I did that for, for a few months, actually. And I met some amazing people and you know, and who I still know now. Amazing. And I think so that's what I would say, possibly, one part to SALT. So I guess I guess that journey has led to where you are now and I want to hear a little bit more about salt in a sec but I think there's another part to that moment that we've discussed before which was kind of looking around you and realizing something about the community that you were within as well which has also led on to where where you've taken salt 
Absolutely. So salt, and you know, I think the timing of this is quite important, actually. So salt was kind of just a a business account. Like the idea of salt, salt is a salt is an invisible well it's not invisible when you put it on a on a pro, on a product or food it enhances it the whole idea of salt is it, it enhances things that are already good and we put a sun and pea in front of it just to just you know there's a story behind that that we don't need to go into but this idea of salt was was that and i just wanted to it's something i've always wanted to do just help and enhance things but the big trigger for what it is turning into right now was the george floyd atrocities I, I i was never someone who really pushed for diversity or was really even aware of the importance of of i guess the visibility of someone like me in such a senior role at the time i wasn't aware of that until i had to really dig deep and reflect on how i felt about you know the black lives matter movement of of last summer and what I realized a few things, you know, I realized and I asked a few people that, you know, at the time, as far as I could see, I was the most senior black person in the UK consumer goods industry at 34. You know, maybe slightly earlier, like earlier than that, there was, like, that I could see, you know, certainly in the, in the roles I had and I asked around and I thought, wow, that's, <laughs> that's not, a, that's not great. You know, that's not a particularly good thing. And, and I just reflected a lot. I wrote, I wrote a letter um, I sent it to some of my close friends in the industry and I got a call from um, a, a, a friend of mine who works at Kraft Heinz, Jojo. She's the president for Amazing Lady um, Northern Europe. And, and she said, like, Sam, we'd love to make a difference here. But no one, no one ever applied. Like, no one applies for jobs. At, and she was right. You know, in the 15, 16 years I was in the industry, I never interviewed a single black person for a job. And I've been sat in a lot of interviews Um and I realised, and we talked about this earlier, is, you know, I found myself in this industry. It wasn't a destination for me, like the one word vocations, the lawyers, the architects, the doctors. It wasn't it wasn't like that. So before I said, I'm not going to blame this industry for being racist or jump to those kind of massive conclusions, because I don't think, you know, there might be something in that for specific people. I don't think the industry is. I just don't think a lot of people look at it as a career option. So let's just start there before we do anything else. Um, and that's where all the initiatives started. So we just thought, right, let's find people and let's tell them that they could get a job in consumer goods. And it's a great industry to be in. It's massive. It's growing. It's relevant to all of us. And let's start engaging them properly. And that's where the Rise Initiative came from. And as we grew this community, we thought we need to support these guys. And we need to read and, and ladies, I say guys in the general term, um, we need to support these people and and get them to make the leap that they want to make from being a student, perhaps, or maybe haven't gone to uni to to if they want to start a career in, in, in corporate FMCG. And that leap is, first of all, introduce them to it but also help them understand it and, and understand what their needs are and meet them where they're at and develop them, but then ultimately get them jobs um, and reinvest any money in growing the community and really investing in them in any way we can, but doing it only with world-class input, like not, you know, just get, giving them the best with no strings attached from their perspective. So that's where it kind of started. And, you know, you realise that some of these young people are so much more impressive than I was 
um, and I am. And I really want them to believe that, but also have really strong starts to their career. Um, but at the same time, it's all well and good saying, right, apply for those jobs. But if, as an, as an organisation, we're not open to the difference that this group is going to bring, then they're just going to knock. They might get the job and then they might leave within a year or two because they can't assimilate like I was, I did. Yeah, they, they, and they could do. And we see young people, irrespective of colour, who are leaving the industry quite quickly, saying this isn't for me. Or, and some of them do well. You know, there's some great examples of people who start their own things. But you just think, actually, no, if we were more open, more more open to difference, if if we created environments where they could really be themselves as opposed to telling them what to be, you know, I think everybody would benefit. And a lot of products I've sold... It takes a lot to break some of those products. You know, people people have that have built these businesses and these brands over years and years and years. Someone bringing more of themselves and showing some creativity and being themselves is not going to harm it. In fact, it could really help it. And I think that's an interesting, I guess it's that's an interesting observation. And I think a lot of it is fear. I know, um, I mean, I don't know, um, kind of, I don't know, I don't know what your perspective is, but certainly from mine, I am, um, you know, I'm confident talking about gender diversity to a point. I mean, it feels like a labyrinth and actually, you know, you know, that there's a lot to unpick. And I don't think there are necessarily really clear cut right answers in any direction that you go down. But um, I do feel comfortable having a conversation about, um, you know, gender diversity and I think, I think, you know, if I am properly open about it, it is, I'm sure, a lot easier because I am a woman. <laughs> um, but then I think about racial diversity and I am a white woman. I'm confident talking about gender diversity, but racial diversity, I don't have the same words. And... I what I do know about myself is that I I am more open to being wrong and being corrected and saying look I don't know and I might get it wrong and I'm sorry if I do than a lot of people I know and I think it does take a lot of bravery and there is a lot of fear surrounding actually not necessarily identifying or not being able to find the words because you don't have the experience of using those words and then struggling to know how to even start a conversation because you are so frightened of saying the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think people say they are, but I think you have to be really careful because difference doesn't mean you look different to me, but you need to act like me. Difference means... If you were, you know, if you were, all white males round that boardroom, it would mean how are you guys different from each other? How do we find difference even in those in those situations? But then obviously, if you have you know, a, a, a woman coming in with different lived experiences, and, and but it's about the individual or a black person, it's how do you make sure that you're not telling them to be the same as you? You're asking them to be different to you, and I think that's a universal thing. We don't do that. In my experience, we haven't done that. 
because for a variety of reasons, maybe we're scared. Um, maybe we just we don't know how to do that. But how do you convince organisations or show organisations that being more open, as we say, with this is 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 beneficial for everybody? Yeah, I know that's really really interesting, and I think you're completely right that um, you know I guess our with, with the grocery girls our reason for being um, kind of our main reason for being that we talk about is about, you know, inspiring and empowering women into senior leadership in grocery. But but fundamentally and far more broadly than that, our ambition is for people to be hired and people to live and work based on who they are and what they can bring to a situation rather than any, what I would say are arbitrary defining labels and you're completely right on that point that you know in seeking to in in seeking to understand diversity you lump people into groups and then it's really really trick it's really you have to be really careful not once not to then once you've created a group view that group as like a homogenous whole <laughs> Um, it's really, really important to treat people to, to view everyone as individuals who have completely different experiences. And actually, um, someone I interviewed um, at the end of 2020, Helena Hills, who's the CEO of True Start Coffee, um, we were talking about this and saying that you know within every um, within every within every group that we you know every group of people that that we kind of label. There are shades of people. There are going to be some people who you'll ask a question and say, actually, you know what? I don't know the answer. I haven't had this conversation before. Can you help? And they might turn around and go, no. And be, and be offended. But, but then there will also be people who you say that who will help and who will have their own views and be able to you know share those views with you. And I think a lot of it is about coming from, well, coming with curiosity and coming with an open mind and an awareness that not everyone is going to want to help you either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's a really interesting one because I can't speak for... The, the, there's, there's something about individuality in this that's really important. But what I do know is there's a group of individuals who don't have it as easy. <laughs> but it is still a group of individuals and and the way i am and i i think what you said about just being able to say I, I could be wrong on this or i might be wrong i'm gonna but, but my intentions are good you know i can't speak on behalf of all black people because i have different opinions to them even in language i get confused you know i get confused in for example let's be candid between you know colored people and people of color that i I, I struggle to make that differential for me. So I always think, right, how can you make that differential for anybody else? It's going to be that, you know, talk about eggshells. You know, I'm walking on that eggshell and I'm black, um, you know, because, but what I would say is just having those open conversations to say that I, I don't know what the right language is. My intentions are good. And the best conversations I've had are the people who have reached out to me and say, Sam, I'm really struggling with all this because don't all lives matter. And here's my experience of how, you know, I may not have got that role because I wasn't a minority. And those are the best conversations I've had because I know and I like and I respect that in the, in the individual. But we're having a really um, 
open conversation about it because we're both, you know, both our intentions are right. So, yeah, with some of these subjects, Esther, I don't know what the right answer is, but what I do know is individuals should bring more of themselves. And some individuals, because of the colour of their skin and other identifiers and group identifiers, it's harder. And one thing I realised, I, I had the responsibility and I didn't take it and I'm doing my best now, is for people with my skin colour um, who have who aren't able to bring or show them full selves or have opportunity, I feel I've got responsibility to help, but I'm still learning at the same time. No, and I no, because I do think if you ground this and... You know, it's quite useful talking about it. If you ground this in sort of individuals, but then look at groups, you then have to then look at groups and say, I can't ignore the fact that this group of individuals, black people, for example, are underrepresented. Or this group, women um, in the boardroom or women in senior positions, underrepresented. But but that, then you, I think you can deal with those, you know, at that level. And I think we can do something with that. But then you know if i am in the boardroom or if there's a woman in the boardroom i'll be saying like, as an individual how are you bringing your whole self how are you making sure you're not conforming to just be like the other people in the room so there are levels to it and i think they're both important because at a group level there is a job to be done because unfortunately group identity you know, this whole group identity we we segregate we we judge we look at people in certain ways but as a result of that our individual opportunities are damaged and and that's kind of how I, I see it so you know you, you have to look at those things and that's why it's great grocery girls great focus but also those individuals you know one by one how do they make sure they bring their full selves no and that's not a gender thing that full self is not genderized if that's the right term it's what are your strengths? What are your talents? What are you passionate about? Are you showing that in the boardroom? What's stopping you doing that? Are you trying to, you know, can you be more of yourself? Can you take more of a risk? Um, and that takes a lot of boldness and bravery to say, I'm going to be more of myself in this in this meeting or in this conversation. It's just harder for some people than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And especially people, if you know, if we're talking about what we would term senior leaders, you know, there are people who have been, in the industry or who've been working for you know a couple a few decades you know you know a while and 20 years ago 10 years ago actually expectations were different and the opportunity and actually the almost like emphasis to uh bring yourself to a table um wasn't there so it's a really steep learning curve if you've got to a position of responsibility and accountability and influence. And actually, what the world is asking of you is very different to what it was asking of you all along your journey to get to where you are now. It's really... Yeah. And, and, and you're, I think that's a really... That observation you know, shows a level of empathy that's really important. You're asking people to change that have gone through and seen, like been successful based on a formula that you know someone like you or like me or other people are saying well can we change the formula please we're asking quite a lot of people i'm not saying they shouldn't do it they absolutely should but how do we 
how do we connect it to them as opposed to just say just tick that diversity box because it literally becomes a a, a box ticking exercise um what we want people to, people to do is seek it out like how do you get leaders to actively seek out difference and what i'm what i believe is it starts with asking them what makes them different and when i you know i i'm a executive coach i, I coach I, I love doing that and i coach a lot of senior leaders and yeah that is a question that not everyone can easily answer which is what are you good at like what are your real strengths not you know what's going to get you the next job what do you like to do what is maybe unique about you what are the things you would never mention at work because you separate work and home what are those things that you could bring more of that will make you alive in your job now that's a question that's relevant to anyone irrespective of their background um but again i always go back to it's just harder for some people but if you unlock that in the leader and the leader says i can bring more of a difference you can then look at your workforce and say just imagine if all of these people that work in my team or work in my organization just brought a bit more of themselves just a, a bit more of themselves and and their creativity what they love to do you know what they what they do where it doesn't even feel like they they do it for free because they love doing it so much what if they brought elements of that to those meetings we've got we've got a bunch of people who are who are um yeah they're not we're not living to the to the most um so i'm not, I'm not being able to tell you, we are not being our full selves when you know we've got people in organizations that we're not using to the full capacity in a sense and how do we create the space for anyone to do that and that includes people of who are different to you because we have no idea what they're capable of because they're so different to us and that's that should be exciting mm, mm, definitely and yeah no that's that's all really really interesting stuff thanks sam and um that is so so this kind of this bit around leadership is something that you're also looking at with salt isn't it so i know that um i know <laughs> that you have a website going live soon and you're going to be kind of talking about the different services that you're kind of putting under this umbrella of salt with a p um silent p so we first started talking about rise right so what you're calling rise which which is about giving young people opportunities and encouraging them to to seek opportunities within the grocery industry right yep yep and then there's um so what you were just talking about then so that kind of leadership piece is something that you're doing as well with salt that yes it is so so to work through the three i mean if if the umbrella of all of it on all of this or over all of this i should say is to make it possible for anyone there's three things we're doing the first thing is how do you is rise so it's how do you find underrepresented individuals and give them the tools capability confidence and support to to rise and to you know to to make the leap into probably the corporate world into organizations and not just to make that leap but to do well to thrive there really especially in their first two years you know help them to really do do well in that environment and we're starting with black talent and we're probably going to be focused on black talent for a while then we've got open and open is you mentioned um gareth so um yeah, Gav, one of my best friends, but also he's been, we've been talking about this for years, but the idea of working with leaders, like coaching, group facilitation, 
to create open environments, to create more open environments where they can be more open, they can bring more of their authentic leadership to play and they can encourage everyone around them to do that as well. And you know, he, Gabby, we're using a lot of psychology, like organizational psychology, a lot of, a lot of you know, science actually, as well as our lived experience to create you know, some simple models for them to organizations to be able to do that. Because you need those two to work hand in hand, help people rise, but if they're rising, you need to open up so they can get in. And finally, um, and this is from a, um, a, a young man called Cameron um, Douglas, um, Cameron, sorry, Cameron Alexander, not Cameron Douglas, who, who did some, who was helping us out on Salt of the Star. He, he raised the question, what if people want to create their own organisations and they don't want to work for a big corporate? And, and that's where ad sort came from. So ad sort is the third part. So we've got rise open and ad finally which we're launching shortly um which the final is a sprinkle which is using our network using retailers and, you know, and and everything i can bring and and my network can bring to help black owned brands to enter the consumer goods industry because if you go into a tesco it's not tesco's fault um but there's something not quite right where there's only one or two black owned brands out of the thousands of brands you can buy in a Tesco or in a Sainsbury's or online and everyone wants to do something about it, just a couple. So how do we find great ideas? Because great ideas can truly come from anywhere. But how do we create what we call an accelerator, you know, which is a kind of an innovation process that's supported by industry leaders from various companies who are giving their time, but also retailers who, who are going to give their advice, not guaranteed to list, but get these guys ready to be investable, to have a product that's ready to go on shelf so we can increase representation. So we're starting consumer goods because it's what I know, but it's under this premise of if you want to create your own organisation, because great ideas can literally come from anywhere, but why is it that only very few filter to the top? Um, so those are the three things that come under sort. I'm not going to add any more because it's quite a lot, but we've got an amazing people supporting each one. So rise, open and then and then add. Wonderful. Well, I think, um, let me see, we've been talking for about 45 minutes now. So I think that's probably a great time to bring things to a close. Whenever we interview someone, we ask them to either recommend a book that they've been reading or a role model who inspires them. I don't I don't read that many books. I'm I'm going to do something. I'm going to go a bit off piste on this because I've got some friends and I always challenge them because they read loads of books on how, you know, business books and how each individual has all of these guys have made it. And they've all got their little formulas of how they made it. And I think we always try to copy them. And while I want to be inspired by people, I just believe that I want people to write their own books. And and so so yeah I I mean I there there are no books as such that I've I've read of late that I'm like this is amazing, um, the last one I read was yeah the last one I read was probably, never split the difference which is an interesting negotiation book, um see I'm, I I do I do like that, um, and and other sort of quite technical books, um but those are like the last ones I would say that I'll I'll, I'll read a, a book like that, um. But I love that bit. I love that bit about you want people to write their own books. And I think one thing, and, and um, I know we're kind of drawing things to a close, but when you go back to talking about your, I guess, your initial career journey, which was through quite a prescribed route, 
I think that's something that we do see quite a lot in the grocery industry. There are areas where there are tangible steps and there's a clear progression to to move on in your career. And I think, um, I just think that's a really lovely point about actually, maybe we should be more focusing on carving out our own paths rather than trying to analyse the decisions other people have made. No, it, uh, but it, it's, a, it's an easy, because it doesn't, I don't think it guarantees success, so- it doesn't guarantee it, but I just think, you know, when you said the word weird, I was walking with a friend and I said, we just need more people who are weird. We need that. Like We need what I said, oh, that's different. But we're all, af- we're all really afraid to be that. And then you realise that's probably what's missing because everyone says, I'll oh, take some risks, be creative, let's do something different. But if the environment you're, we're creating isn't conducive to that, it's not going to happen. So I just, I just love the people who are, no, and I, I'm not there yet myself. I would love to just be myself, but I'm still kind of working out what that is because I've spent 38 years kind of, I'm kind of uncoiling because I'm spent so long trying to fit in. Um, so I'm on the journey as well. So please don't ever assume that I've got it. <laughs> I've got it sorted. We're all on a journey, aren't we? And I think that, um, you know, being weird might not always guarantee success, but if you're being true to yourself, success isn't as important, is it? Well, it's redefined. You know, why is success um, earning six figures? Why is success having a bigger house? It might be for some people, but what about balance? What about creativity? What about family? What about um, enjoyment? All those things, you know, we, I think we, you know, so it's, it's, you know, what is success? Redefine it. Amazing. Right. That is a wonderful way to round off this episode. Thank you so much, Sam, for your time. It's been really, really great to talk to you and such, such a, such a great, fun, interesting conversation as always. So thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Esther. Thanks for having me. How good was that? Thanks again to Sam for being so open and honest and to Hester for being such an amazing host. If you enjoyed that as much as I did, keep an eye out on your podcast platform of choice as we'll be dropping a new episode every Wednesday over the next couple of weeks. I don't want to say too much, but we have some not-to-be-missed interviews coming up. Now, if you want to be the first to hear about all things Grocery Girls, make sure you're following us on LinkedIn or over on Instagram at Grocery Girls UK. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter at www.grocerygirlsuk.com. Thank you again for joining us. We appreciate the support and we will see you very soon. Bye.